If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to go to uh, the first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew 2 this morning, Matthew 2, beginning with verse 1. Last Sunday, uh, we started a conversation uh, around Christmas lights and um, uh, really exploring uh, what uh, uh, the Gospel of John uh, had to say uh, about Christmas lights. Here we go. We're going to get it lit up. Come on, Christmas lights. Jesus. Jesus lights up. Very good. There we go. Awesome. So that's, that's how we began last week, is really looking at the Gospel of John. And um, we talked a little bit about getting a tree up. And so uh, last Sunday afternoon, some folks from Faith came in and put up this big, beautiful Christmas tree. And if you think putting up a Christmas tree at your house is a big deal, this is a really big deal. So uh, I'm very grateful uh, to the folks who uh, did such a beautiful job in setting up the Christmas tree. And the reason why we're doing this whole series, uh, and it's a short series, it's an Advent series uh, called simply Christmas Lights, is, is frankly because right after Thanksgiving, all of a sudden lights start popping up uh, around the community. Uh, shrubs, trees, inside houses, outside houses, um, around Bloomington Normal. There's one in Bloomington. There's one in Normal if you've been driving around and, and looking at some of the lights. By the way, anybody go by Rave Road last week and check it out? Yeah, it's pretty cool, huh? That was, that's pretty awesome. I, I like that one. Um, but there's lights everywhere, and there's lights all over the United States uh, that just continue to glimmer, continue to glow. Uh, but it's not just an American phenomenon. Uh, there are lights lighting up all over the world. So the bottom picture there is uh, in Germany, and you'd be like, yeah, I would get it, you know, or I expect that there are light Christmas tree lights in Germany. Um, but the one uh, up in the upper left-hand uh, corner um, that one is actually in Tokyo, Japan. That's Tokyo. And the one on the right is Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, even in non-Christian countries, uh, they are putting up lights this time of year. It's very, very interesting. I find this just fascinating. What is going on with all the lights? And I don't know if you've ever wondered about why people put up lights, uh, maybe just me. Um, and so I was curious. So I thought, well, I'm going to go to the source. I'm going to call a guy. And uh, there was a sign. Uh, maybe you saw this in your neighborhood too. Uh, so I called it up. And I'm like, hey, what's with all the Christmas lights? And uh, uh, his name is Matt. And uh, this is his day job. He hangs up Christmas tree lights. And uh, I just said, come on, you know, what's the source? Why do we do this? He said, it was quiet on the other end of the line. He's like, he said, I can make good money doing this. <laughs> I'm like, awesome. I just don't think that's the right answer. I, I don't think this is the, the, the guy to be checking with. You know, why are all these Christmas lights? Not even the guy who hangs them up for a living uh, can give me a good answer uh, beyond it's, it's a lucrative uh, business, apparently. So, hey, if you need Christmas lights, uh, Matt will take care of you. Um, just don't ask him to tell you why he sets up the, the Christmas lights or the meaning of the Christmas lights. And so I thought, well, I, I, I have a better idea. Uh, rather than asking around and just kind of wondering and speculating, let's go to the Bible. Let's look at Scripture, uh, see what the Bible has to say about Christmas lights. And certainly, uh, the Bible does have a lot to say um, about Christmas lights. Light goes throughout. uh, It's a theme, a major theme throughout Scripture. Uh, The word light shows up 179 uh, different times from Genesis through Revelation. You probably know this. Uh, Almost when, uh, as God is creating the world, one of the very first verses in the Bible is, let there be light light, right? So it starts out right there 
in the very, very beginning. And then if you go all the way to the end of the Bible, one of the very last verses in the Bible is this scene, this picture of heaven, of all that's going on. And John, the disciple, the apostle John, uh, describes to us that the glory of God is in its light, and the Lamb is the lamp. So in heaven, light, the illumination, the radiance comes from God. So from Genesis through Revelation, there's lots and lots of references to light. And maybe you can think of uh, that psalm, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. I mean, it's just over and over. And I think oftentimes we read about these different uh, little pieces uh, throughout Scripture. The word light pops up and we just kind of read on by it. We blow right on by it. And so this season during Advent, we're slowing down a little bit and we're looking at just this whole idea of what does it mean that the light has come into the world and shines among us. And so last week, uh, we looked at the Gospel of John, and uh, I want to encourage you, if you haven't seen that already, uh, to to go check that out online uh, and reflect a little bit on what John says to us about Jesus being the light of the world. And today, we're going to look at a familiar story in Matthew, Matthew 2, about a group of guys following the light. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, that you are indeed uh, the light who has come into the world. And God, we uh, so oftentimes just um, move past that imagery so quickly in our lives. So help us to slow down this morning. Help us to focus on you. Help us, God, and remind us um, of what just all this means for our lives. Uh, And so, God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable. Uh, For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, about 15 years ago-ish, I was involved in youth ministry. I was working in a congregation, and uh, we would take our youth group to a large Christian uh, outdoor uh, uh, concert festival. It's called Sunshine. It's in Wilmer, Minnesota. And it kind of looks like that if you've had kind of like Woodstock, but not all the drugs, right? So it's, it's kind of like that, um, uh, diff- different focus. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's lots and lots of people, about 20,000 people uh, gather on 600 acres on a farm. Uh, we slept in tents. Uh, get really stinky over a couple days, three-day-long thing, um, eat lots of junk food, sit out in the sun, and they've got seven, seven different stages uh, of different uh, Christian musicians. And you just kind of spend all day long hanging out with your friends, going and listening uh, to the music. Well, somehow, some way, uh, I was able to convince my wife uh, to allow me to um, bring our, I think he was eight, uh, eight-year-old son Logan along uh, with the youth group. It's one of the perks of, you know, being the youth minister at the church is you bring along your little kiddos uh, to, to kind of tag along. I thought, you know what, this is a good environment for him. I mean, what could go wrong, right? You know, it's just lots of good fellowship, good environment, good music, Camping, tenting, you know, kind of all that good thing, eating over a grill, junk food, uh, all that stuff. So, so Logan came along, and uh, the first day went great. Uh, all day long, you know, it's, it's junk food, it's concerts, it's mostly staying hydrated, go back to the tent, you know, hang out, uh, you know, do play games, all that good stuff, and, and it was just great. Um, day two comes along all day long. Again, really, things are going really well. 
uh, enjoying the music, and we're getting ready for the big concert that evening. You know, they always make the, the big headliner concert, the last concert of the evening. And um, that night it was the Newsboys, and we're like getting pretty excited about it. It's going to be a great show. And so, um, you know, so the concert's going on. We're having a great time. It's now dark out. There we go. Uh, something like that. I mean, you may, you've maybe been to one of these, you know, kind of things before. And, and I'm thinking, you know, it's getting kind of late. I think the concert's almost done. I said to Logan, hey, let's go back to the tent uh, a little bit early, kind of beat the crowds, that kind of thing. And so uh, for about 10 minutes, we just kind of squeeze our way through the crowds, right? Um, And and then after a little bit, I look back to just say, okay, we we made it out. Let's go back to the tent. No Logan. Now, back in 2005, 2006, kids didn't have cell phones. I had a flip phone. There were not just phones everywhere like there are today. And so I got this big panic. You know, I'm like, uh uh-oh. I thought, well, Logan's a pretty smart kid. He probably just went back to the tent. So I went back to the tent very quickly. And as I'm going back there, um, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say to my wife um, uh, when I eventually do call her. And I'm actually more scared of talking to her than, you know, losing Logan in general. But I get back to the tent, he's not there. So then I race all the way back um, to uh, the stage. And, you know, there's just massive amounts of people everywhere. It's dark, and, and you know, I had one of these uh, headlamps, and so I'm putting my headlamp on. And I'm looking all over for him, and I am just freaking out. I am so panicked. I mean, really, am I going to just find this kid? It's, it is truly like a needle in a haystack kind of thing. And so I take my headlamp off, and I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of playing around with it, and I'm just like, all right. Um. So I put it back up. And all of a sudden, I feel this kid wrap his arms around me. I'm like, Logan, how did you find me? He said, Dad, I didn't know what I was looking for. But when I saw your light, the light that we go camping with, camping on the Mississippi River, I knew it was you. In the midst of 20,000 people, he saw a light, he recognized his father, And he came over to me. You know, in many ways, that could be the story of the wise men. The saying of the Magi. We saw the light. We didn't know what we were looking for. And so we just came. And we just started wandering. We started moving in that direction. And that's, of course, the story what I want to talk to you about this morning. The story the Magi, the wise men. Who were these guys? Magi, we get our word magic from. They were like magicians. They were these these learned men. They knew stuff like a magician knows stuff. They knew stuff that other people didn't know. And sometimes we call them wise men. That's who they were. It says they came from the east. We don't really know where that is, but scholars really kind of think. So I circled Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, and then over there by the arrow, they were going to Bethlehem near Jerusalem. So, I mean, those are kind of some of the outlines, some of the sketches, some of the things that we know. They were professional scholars of the day, and they read books, all sorts of books. They certainly were probably familiar with the Old Testament, but they were like scientists as well. 
And in ancient times, the scientists, when they were looking for something to gain some knowledge, they oftentimes looked up at the stars and the sky to learn things. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at this familiar story in Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star. And when it rose, have come to worship him. When King Herod heard uh, this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd, my people. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard uh, the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it arose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so the Magi were following the star. What is the star? What was that star that they saw? Well, there's all sorts of speculation about what the star actually was. Some uh, people, astrologers, uh, theologians say, well, it's, it was a time when uh, Saturn and, and, and Jupiter were really close together. So it was kind of this alignment of uh, some of the planets in our solar system. Others say, no, 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 it was like a comet field, right? Moving through the sky, bright and shiny. Uh, and, and others say, no, it, it was like a meteor shower, you know? And so there's, there's all these ideas about what it actually was. And, and some of those things may be true, um, but I don't think that's what the star was. I think the star was the very presence of God, I think that because of what it says in Luke 2, the Christmas story. Remember the, the, the shepherds are out in their fields watching their sheep, and all of a sudden, angels show up and they make this declaration, and it says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. All of a sudden, the sky got really, really bright, the glory of God and this is the Old Testament way of saying God's very presence showed up. The sky lit up. We know this is the Shekinah glory. Maybe you've heard this idea before. Shekinah is an old Hebrew idea or concept of the glory of God, the very presence of God. We talked about this last week a little bit. This idea that God is not just this kind of this being, but there's light that emanates and, and the glory of God comes and shows up. 
When we think about the Shekinah light of God, the very presence of God, I like to think of Moses and the burning bush. Remember that Old Testament story where there's Moses taking care of the, the animals out in the wilderness and all of a sudden there's this bush, this blazing bonfire? It's the light, the Shekinah glory of God and God speaks and he has this conversation uh, with Moses. And then after Moses uh, uh, leads God's people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, this story of Exodus, this narrative that goes on and on and on in our Bibles, right? We've been reading, we, well, we're, we're past it now, we're in Daniel now, but I mean, we just sat in, this, in these 40 years of wandering through the wilderness. It's just for the love of Pete, are these Israelites ever going to get out of uh, the, the wilderness and into the promised land? And the Bible tells us they were led by a pillar of fire. This idea, just this flame at night, just leading them through the wilderness. It's the Shekinah glory. It's the very presence of God. Later in Jesus' life, he talks about this light again. This is recorded in Matthew 24. Jesus is speaking, he says, immediately after the distress of those days, he's talking about the end times, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, he's referring to himself, and all the people will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Shekinah light. And so what Jesus is talking about, I think, is the second coming is going to be much like the first coming of Jesus. There's going to be a star and the light. It's going to get brighter and brighter and brighter. And it's not just a star. It's not just a light. It is the very presence, the very uh, 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 of God himself come to earth. So a couple of things I want to say about the Magi uh, as we, we kind of move through this story and think a little bit about the light. Um, first of all, um, first question is, um, we, we just sang it this morning, we three kings of Orientar, right? Oftentimes we think that there were uh, three Magi. The only problem with that is the story, the text doesn't tell us there were three Magi. It tells us there were three gifts. Most scholars believe uh, that there was probably more like an entourage, and that's why I want to share this image with you. It wasn't just three magi. It was probably maybe even hundreds of magi, hundreds of wise men, hundreds of scholars. Three guys showing up at Herod's palace. Herod would have been like, what do you want? A whole entourage showing up going, hey, we're looking for the king. Herod's going, oh. That's a big deal. So there's a good reason to believe three gifts, an entourage of magi coming along. Second uh, notion I want to dispel with you a little bit this morning. Um, sorry, Hallmark. Uh, they were not kings. They were not kings. They didn't have crowns. They were kingmakers. They were powerful people. And when they gathered together, they said, we think this person should be a king. This person should be a king. 
So they in, of themselves were not kings. They were not rulers. They were kingmakers. They were the ones who went around and said, hey, look at the stars. It's like this. And so again, when they came to Herod and they're looking for a king, they're not looking to become kings themselves. What they're trying to describe to Herod is there's a new king coming. So of course, Herod was threatened. Of course, Herod was freaking out. So the people who wrote this song, we three kings of Orient are. It's what we would call what creative licensing or something like that, Jeff, something like that. I mean, we three magi of, it just doesn't roll off the tongue, right? You got you to go with the, 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 the music and, and, and all the rest. They weren't kings. They uh, were uh, magi. They were these uh, educated, uh, these uh, king makers. Uh, one other thing uh, I want to lift up to you this morning um, is that they came to a house. It says in the text that they came to the house. Now, why is this little detail important, or why do I share this with you this morning? Remember where Jesus was born? He was born in a stable, you know, much like a cave, right, or something like that. But it says in Matthew 2, what we just read, when they came to the house, meaning... They weren't there on that first night when they were singing Silent Night, Holy Night, and all that good stuff. They weren't part of the original Christmas pageant. They came a little later, and that's okay. They were still in Bethlehem, but they've been upgraded, right? All of a sudden, there was a room at the Marriott so they could get a room. So I put a house. There were probably something more along the lines that looked like this. Those of you who have had kids know, you know, when you have the baby, you know, when you're in the hospital, most of you. You don't want a lot of guests coming to visit you, right? You want to wait until after you get home, the baby's cleaned up, you put on the cute little pajamas, all that stuff. That's what's going on here. Baby's cleaned up. I don't know if it was a, a, a couple days, a couple weeks, a couple months, maybe a toddler. We don't know how, exactly how long they were in Bethlehem. Not a long time. But this was not in a manger. They were now in a house. But one of the things I want to lift out to you uh, from this story that is a, a detail that I think we often overlook, but it's not an unimportant detail. It's absolutely critical to understanding this story and what this story means for our lives. These magi were not Jewish, they were Gentiles, they were outsiders. They were pagans. They worshiped other gods. They were not insiders who had come. They were people from afar. They're Arabs. And so we ask ourselves, what in the world is this group of Arabs doing, traveling all those miles, all that distance, to see this Jewish kid with a prophecy that he might be the one, the Messiah. Well, as I said earlier, these magi, they were learned people, and, and they were most certainly familiar with the Old Testament texts. And they had heard about these prophecies, and they probably even read some of the prophecies. And many of them weren't surprised at all that they were being led by this star. Because 700 years before Matthew 2 and the magi show up, the prophet Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, writes this in Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, 
For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory of the Lord, rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. This is probably where we get this idea of that there were kings. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons from afar. Again, they came from a long ways. And your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels. Right? We've got these images of camels. On the, on the, you know, and there's these, these wise men, these magi riding camels. It comes from Isaiah. Doesn't say that in Matthew. But this is what we think, and as we read into the story and the Magi, we're certainly familiar with this. Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah, and all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense. Sound familiar? And proclaiming the praise of the Lord. And I can about imagine these magi going, okay, we're going on this long trek. This is what Isaiah says. We probably should bring a, a gift or two. What do you think we should bring? I don't know. Isaiah said uh, we should maybe bring, bring gold and incense. All right, throw it in there. Uh, good idea. Let's just bring some myrrh, you know, for embalming. I don't really know what this means, but, you know, we'll, we'll just do that because that's what we think we should do. Fast forward 700 years, and that's exactly what happened. Exactly as Isaiah wrote it. It's epiphany. And some of you, some of you diehard Lutherans have been irritated the whole time. I know. Because you're like, wait a second, why are we talking about an epiphany text here? That happens after Advent. That happens after Christmas, right? Don't raise your hand. Some of you have been really irritated the entire time. I know. I know this happens after Advent, this happens after Christmas. I just messed up your liturgical calendar, I know, right? Some of you die-hard liturgical Lutherans, right? It's Epiphany. And Epiphany is actually the third most important season in the life of the church. Easter, Pentecost, then Epiphany. Epiphany is actually more important than Advent. It's more important. It's a big deal. It's this whole idea that something big has happened. So we ask ourselves, why does it matter? Why does this this part of the story, this whole idea of Epiphany matter? And I think, again, as as Westerners who live in the the 21st century, we, we miss a lot of the details of the Christmas story, of the Advent narrative leading up to the birth of Jesus. And the very first thing that we have to remember is that this was a scandalous story. It was absolutely outrageous that the angels came to the shepherds, these outsiders, the lowest class, to proclaim that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That's scandal number one. Scandal number two, and Jeff referred to this a little bit ago, is that this king was going to be born in Bethlehem. Everybody knew that Bethlehem was this podunk little town. 
It's like Leroy, right? You know, just this little community. Who goes to Leroy, right? Why would a king be born in Leroy or, I don't know, Lexington or, I don't know, pick, pick your favorite podunk, Emden, little town, right? It's just a farm community. It's not Springfield, Illinois, the capital and the power of Illinois, right? Or Washington, D.C. That's where you would expect a king. That's where you would expect someone powerful, not a little farm community like Bethlehem. So the story and the scandal keeps growing and growing. And then you add to the layers um, that here's a, a woman shown up. She shows up. She's not married with her boyfriend. I mean, this is an outrageous story. If you wanted to share with future generations about God come to earth, this is, this is not the story you would write. It's scandalous. It's absurd. And nobody believed it then because it was so outrageous. But here's where Epiphany comes in. It gets even worse. It's the Magi who are there. The very first people, don't miss this, the very first people to worship Jesus were pagans. Ugh. Crazy. This story is so scandalous. It's so absurd. No wonder first century people could not get their heads around this story. This is one of the most, this is probably the most ironic story in all of human history. And as we think about epiphany, irony should just be screaming at us like blinking lights. Irony, irony, irony. This is crazy. These, there we go, irony, right? It's just like, ah! These are people that traveled a long ways. From Baghdad to Jerusalem is about 650 miles-ish. From Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, it's about 1,500 miles. And from Tehran to Bethlehem, it's about 2,000 miles they, they traveled a long way, right? These pagans who do not worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob travel hundreds, if not thousands of miles to see this Jewish kid, this king. And yet the Jewish people, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they live six miles away. You see on the map there, Jerusalem and Bethlehem are so close. It's like a suburb of Jerusalem, Bethlehem is. It's like from Union Park right here to Normal West High School. That's how far Jerusalem is to Bethlehem. You hear the irony in this? There were a group of people willing to travel hundreds and thousands of miles who were pagans, who were Arabs, who did not worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the people who lived in Jerusalem, the religious people who studied the Old Testament, who studied God's word, they're like, six miles, nah, let's not go too far. I mean, to hear the scandal and, and how ironic this story is, is crazy. No wonder people in the first century were like, no, nah, I, I, I don't buy it. It doesn't make any sense. The irony is the people who live so far away 
were willing to travel so far, and yet those who were so close couldn't see the Christ child right in their midst. Which brings us back to the Christmas lights, I think. Back to maybe my friend Matt, who spends all day hanging lights. He can't tell me why there's lights during the Christmas season, what all the big deal is, what all the fuss is. Or maybe homes around town. Maybe you've seen these homes. I've seen I see them almost every night driving around. I wonder, do they know? Do they know what they're proclaiming? Do they know about these lights, what they're celebrating? The Shekinah glory? And even worse, these people, can you imagine what their light bill is? I mean, they've just got light. And yet I can't help but wonder, hey, they missed that the light represents Jesus. It's an ironic story, isn't it? It's really something. And I think we miss this over and over. How can we be so close to the lights and miss it? And yet those who are far away are willing to travel and come bearing gifts. So I want to kind of pull this together. There are really two responses to the coming of the Christ child. John tells us in John 1, he came to his own people and even they rejected him. Response number one, reject him, okay? But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. So the second option is to believe in Jesus and to receive him be declared a child of God. Now, being Americans, we like, we, you know, we like more choices, right? And so we've come up with our own third option. We want to receive what Jesus has done for us, but we want to, we want to receive Jesus on our own terms, right? This is what we do. Let's just be honest here. We want to receive the rescue, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. We want him to be our Savior. We want him to be our Messiah. We just don't want him to be our Lord. Am I right? We want to, we want to receive all the blessings, all the gifts, all that he has given to us. We just don't want to lay down our lives and follow him. So we're like, no, we don't like option one rejecting him. We don't like option number two, uh, where we have to not only make him our, uh, our king, but also our Lord. We want option three. We just want to make him our king, not our Lord. But can we just be honest? Option three is not in the Bible. It's not in here. Jesus never said, you can make me king, but you can't uh, allow me to be your Lord. It doesn't work that way. It's a package deal. King of kings, Lord of lords. Alleluia, alleluia. Right? We know that. That's how it works. See, if the, the, if, if the Magi were to have said, we're going with option three, this is what it would have said. Stacey, can you put up there, go back to uh, Matthew uh, 2.11. I don't know if that's a big deal or not. Uh, and if you can't, that's fine. Okay, I'm just going to read. On, okay, so the wise men show up, the magi show up. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They're like, awesome. 
There's Jesus, the King of Kings. Hey, Mary, Joseph, good to see you. Baby Jesus, we brought some gifts, but it's a long way home. We might need some of the gold. We might need some of the frankincense. We'll leave you the myrrh. You're going to need it someday. I mean, that's preposterous, right? That the Magi would actually show up and then walk away. But that's what we Americans want to do. Is we want to look at Jesus and say, you are king, you have rescued me, you have saved me. I just don't think you want anything from me. And so I'm going to keep living my life how I want to live my life. I mean, that's American Christianity, right? That's the, that's the truth. And so this Advent, this Epiphany, I want to invite us to think and to live a different way. Because this is what the story said when they saw the Christ child. They didn't just walk away. And they bowed down and worshipped him. They gave him their lives. These people who did not worship God, they worshipped the Herods of the world. They worshipped the powers of the world. They did with their time what they wanted to do with their time. They did with their money what they wanted to do with their money. And in that moment, they said, you know what, Jesus, here you take it. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So what are you going to do with Epiphany? What are you going to do with this? Aha! That's really the story. I missed all that with the light. What are you going to do with the Epiphany story? Are you going to continue to allow Jesus to just be your rescuer, your savior? Or are you going to present your gifts to get on your knees, to bow down and say, no, not just thanks, Jesus, but I'm surrendering my life, my whole life, my desires, my resources, my time, everything I have. That's what the Magi did. And this is what Jesus is calling us to do as well. So what are you going to do with Epiphany this year? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these remarkable uh, magi, these people who saw light, and they weren't really sure what they were looking for. But when they saw it, they just started following. They just, there was something about that light, God, that drew them to follow you to meet you in Bethlehem, a place where nobody went, no honor, but God, you were there. And so, Lord, thank you that these wise men, these magi, they just didn't turn around and go home, but God, they bowed down and worshiped you. And their hearts were filled with joy. And here we are a couple thousand years and they're part of the Christmas story. Because they were obedient. They couldn't help themselves, God. Their lives were transformed. These pagans 
these people who are far from you. God, we thank you for the good news in that story because that might be us. Maybe people who have been living for ourselves, living for our desires, spending money on ourselves, spending time on the things that we want to do. But yet as Jesus followers, you call us to be like the Magi, to surrender. So God, this Advent season, this Christmas season, and this Epiphany season, wake us up. Give us an aha moment of what you have done for us. You've come to rescue us, save us from ourselves. Lord, help us to surrender. Surrender and live. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.